All right. You hydrated? I think so. Feel ready? I think so. Okay. I'm never ready. <laughs> All right. Then we'll just go anyway. We're always ready. Yeah, <clears throat> that's right. Exactly. Never ready, always ready. <laughs> Same thing. What's right? the difference? That's it. <laughs> I'm with me. It's what's the difference. <laughs> All right, welcome to What Else? My guest today, Nicholas George Miller. Hello. Thanks, thanks for coming. My pleasure. Good to different. see you as always. Likewise. Likewise, we've known each other a long time now. Very long time. 20... Almost. No, probably more than 20 years. Yeah. I think since 1991, maybe. Oh. Or 90. Well, 99 would be... 20 years. Right. I think since 90 or so, 89. 89. When I sat in with Gold ish. September. Oh, wow. 89. Right? <laughs> yeah. All right. 30 year anniversary. Oh my God. Wow. It's crazy, right? Where does the time go? I know. I don't know. I don't know. Um, thanks for coming on the thing. Yeah. We'll just talk about a bunch of stuff. Cool. Um, I got stuff sometimes. Okay. Talk about. Um, let's talk about a little bit, I know a little about where you grew up in your family, but uh-huh. tell me a little about that. You, um, I, well, I was born in Cincinnati, Ohio. Oh, okay. Um, we moved to Prospect Heights, Illinois in 1964 when I was like a year and a half old. Okay. And, uh, my dad was transferred got a job and was having a house built there. So we moved into a rental house and we were there till like August of 64. We moved into my family home that I grew up in, Yeah, which is in Prospect Heights. And uh, so I lived there until after college. My parents uh, didn't move out of there until 2004. So they were there for 40 years. Yeah. Crazy. And you were one of how many? Four. Four, I'm the youngest of four. Yeah. What was the age spread? Um, My oldest sibling is my sister, Ellen. She's six years older than me. And my brother's a year behind her, so he's five years older than me. And then my sister, Evangeline, is about a year, a little over a year older than me. So that's a pretty close cluster for four kids. They did did like two and then two, like Mm -hmm. four years later. So Mm -hmm. I don't know what they were thinking. (laughs) Having two kids, I don't know that I would do four, another two, four years later. That's right. (laughs) You, you wouldn't double down on that again? I don't know. Yeah. Maybe not. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and did you guys get along as kids? Like, did you hang out together or did you have separate kind of oh, interests no, and activities? Oh, no. Uh, it was the old ones versus the young ones mostly, really. Okay. I mean, for, I mean, think about it. You yeah. Know, if you're 10. Sure. You know, you got to brother who's four and right. a sister who's five, you're not all that interested in hanging out with them. So. I would imagine. Yeah. Um, but you know, I mean, we're, yeah, we're a close family for sure. Yeah. But you know, kid stuff, kids, you know, knocking heads. That's kind of the way it was. Yeah. I'm familiar. Um, do you think you should become closer at a certain age? Like, is there an, is there a point where you were kind of like clicked in and you're like, Oh, these are, these are my people and I'm more, I'm more into it than, um, maybe once we all got to be adults, yeah. I think, you know, sure. once like everyone was over 18, maybe yeah. probably got to that point. Actually, I mean, maybe younger than that, actually, because, um, my brother went off to college. My eldest sister came back from 
being gone from college for a while was living back home and my Vange, my other my sister's yeah. year older than me was at away at college so it was for a while it was just Ellen and and uh, and me at home with my parents you know living at home so we were and we hung out a lot in fact we had some pretty great little adventures here and there so right you told me one about you guys going maybe to the uptown theater and seeing somebody sound checking what was that yeah the um i had i had a um really it's kind of a life changing experience as i look back on it yeah um <clears throat> We were, um, it was November 1979, so I was a senior in high school, and um, my parents were out of town, and Ellen and I were home, and I'd cut school that day. We just decided to, like, hang out and play guitars and goof off, and um, we heard on the radio Bob Marley was playing that night at the Uptown Theater, and... uh, Ellen goes, oh, my God, we should go to that. And the probably Tom Marker, whoever goes on WXRT announcing the show, says, you know, oh, the show is sold out. So we had just been in Carbondale, Illinois, where Ellen had been playing a gig. And she had picked up, like, I don't know, a pound or two of these fresh psilocybin mushrooms from her hippie friends who still live down there. And we brought them back and... Ellen had this harebrained plan. She goes, hey, why don't we try to trade these for tickets at the Bob Marley show? I said, okay. It's a great plan. Why not? You know, I'm 17 years old. I'm cutting school that day. I don't care. It's like a, whatever. It was like a weekday. Yeah. So um, we hopped in a car, middle of the afternoon, drove down there, and um, parked on up on on Lawrence Avenue there. And Ellen gets out, and you know my sister Ellen, Mm -hmm. who will talk to anybody and can talk to anybody. It's pretty amazing. Uh, She walks right up and starts talking to some guy at the load-in door. And I'm just standing there on the sidewalk going, okay. And she's talking to him for a minute or two, and I don't really know this person she's talking to, of course. And she comes back over to me. She says, well, my friend over here, I think it was, I think it, I think it might have been Scott Gelman, actually, (laughs) because I think she may have known Scotty from Carbondale. Oh, okay. And I think it might have been him that she was talking to. She just happened. Of course, she knows everybody. So she walks up and knows somebody. But she says, no one wants to trade mushrooms for tickets, but... The band's going to sound check in a little bit and said, do you want to come watch the sound check? And I said, yeah. So they invited us in, let us stand on the side of the stage. Um, so there we were on stage left of the Uptown Theater. I've never been to the Uptown in my life at that point. And we're standing there for what seemed like a very long time. And then I'm thinking, you know, these guys coming, maybe we should just go. And I turn around, and the minute I turn around, here they all come walking off the sidewalk through the load-in door, Bob Marley and the Whalers. Guys are carrying their guitar cases, just no crew. They just set them down, open up the cases, Bob too, takes his guitar out. And, and, and you know, you've seen sound checks. Sound checks are usually, like headliner sound checks are... The gear's all set up, you roll in, they do a line check with every instrument, you know, 
banging on a snare drum, a kick drum, you know, checking guitars and keys, whatever you got. And um, that wasn't their sound check. They just sat down and played. They just sat down and like played for an hour or so. And we just stood there probably from, from where I am to the wall behind you, which is, what do you want to say that is? Seven, seven, ten, twelve feet. Um, watching them for an hour just play. It was mind blowing, just mind blowing. And then we left. It was, uh, but that taught me how to sneak into shows. <laughs> I learned that there was. I didn't know what a sound check was. You know, some dumb kid, some dumb seventeen-year-old kid. Um, I didn't know what a sound check was. I found out what a sound check was that day. Actually, I found out what a sound check was much later when they would do a line check and everything else. But, um, but I learned that if you go down early and you can kind of sneak in during sound check, there's not a lot of security, and you know your way backstage. You can, you know, you can go back later and look like you know exactly what you're doing and where you're going and. But that was a different time. I mean, it's now it's a little difficult. There's lots of security everywhere. Yeah. When you, so you were playing music at that point, right? Um, I just started playing guitar the year before. Okay. Had you played an instrument before that, or played piano? Or no, no. Um, I, my family was pretty musical. My my mom is a trained singer. She's has an amazing voice. She's 93 years old now, but and she still sings, but um but in, you know, in her younger days in her prime, she had a really amazing voice and studied music and um my sister Ellen plays. Right. Um number of instruments. My sister Vange has a also has a beautiful voice and plays piano and guitar. My brother never played really. Oh, well, I take that back. Um I'll get to that in a sec. Um, my dad didn't really play an instrument, but my dad sang. He, he thought he had a great voice. He didn't really have a great voice, but he thought he did, you know, which was good. He, a for effort for him. But, um, but I, I'm the only one of the kids in my family who didn't play a band instrument. Um, the rest of them all played in band, including my brother, played saxophone in band. But... Um, when the time came for me to well first of all they had these musical aptitude tests this is what i just am recalling from years ago and i i think i took my musical aptitude test maybe i didn't understand what it was or understood understand how to do it or i don't know but i recall failing my musical aptitude test which is not surprising in a way to me, it's not surprising <laughs> in those days, but I but I loved music. I was you know always drawn to it. Mm -hmm. um, I remember when I was a kid, very very earliest memory of music is, and I'm gonna date myself, but whatever. I remember being four or five years old, and I was probably not at kindergarten yet, or if I was at kindergarten, it was when I was in the morning, half-day kindergarten, I was home by my, with my mom, because she wasn't working at the time. But I remember distinctly, my sister and brother had this little record player, and they had a copy of Meet the Beatles. And I would 
go into my sister's room with the shades down and put on Meet the Beatles and listen to it in a darkened corner Mm -hmm. during the day in that room over and over and flip it and over and it to this day anytime i hear any songs from meet the beatles i'm immediately transported to that spot it's just you know it's crazy yeah. but so i love music and i i was always wanted to play music but I didn't get a band instrument. I really wanted to play drums, and my parents didn't want me to have drums. They were just not interested in doing that. I didn't want to, have, I didn't want to play oboe or saxophone or clarinet or yeah. trombone or anything in the school band. That, to me, didn't, was not appealing. I wanted to play drums. They didn't want drums. Um, so my sister Ellen, I think maybe in the eighth grade, she got her first guitar, and at some point, maybe, you know, a year or two later, I remember trying, it was a harmony guitar, harmony acoustic, cheap harmony acoustic, in this blue chipboard case. And I remember trying to play it and going, oh my God, who does that? First of all, it was little hands, so, you know, couldn't get around this gigantic tree trunk of a neck with these telephone wire strings. But just to try and press on them was like, oh, why do you do this? Ow. So, I, I, although I wanted to play guitar, I never really tried to play mm-hmm. um, until much later on. But I was always drawn to it and always drawn to music. And, you know, it was, a, it was absolutely a thing for me. Yeah. But I came to it late. So what made you then um, pick it up later at age, whatever, 15 or 16 or something? I, I remember hearing a story about how Eric Clapton didn't start playing guitar till he was 16 years old. And I thought, well, I better start by the time I'm 16, or else there's no way I'll ever be able to play. Um, and that's what I did when I was 16. I just made a conscious effort. There was my sister had a number of guitars, and I, I, uh, I decided to want to play. Um, she had a Beatles book with chord chart, and I would just slowly started teaching myself how to form my, you know, twist my fingers into chord shapes and I knew the songs in my head so of course the way I played them along with the chord charts wasn't quite as how how the the tunes came out but I took a few lessons from this guy who uh used to hit my thumb with a drumstick like if I if I put my thumb over the 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 bass side of the of the neck of the guitar he'd be like you know so that he so that that guy kind of turned me off and the the music he wanted to teach me i wasn't interested in so i just taught myself beatles songs to begin with Mm -hmm. and then other you know kind of classic rock tunes and then eventually you know moved on from there did you ever take any lessons beyond that dude i did um much a little later uh when i went to college at SIU, I took classical guitar for a semester, um, which was kind of cool. I, I enjoyed it. I was a little lazy for it, mm-hmm. but once I would learn a piece, it was really fun to play that music. And uh, a few years later, um, I took, still in Carbondale, I took, uh, I was in a, like two different rock bands at one point and then decided to add taking jazz guitar lessons from uh, this guy, John Mulder. Do you know who he is? I don't he. Think so. He plays the Green Mill still every once in a while. He's an amazing player. Super nice guy, amazing player. He happened to be, he was 
in Carbondale living. He was a student yeah. teaching. So wow. interesting. And then, so when you were playing, were you interested in? Were you interested in writing, or were you just interested in playing? Um, once, by the time I was uh, advanced enough to buy an electric guitar, which was probably a year in, mm-hmm. like I bought my first electric guitar about a month before that Bob Marley show happened. And um, I remember once I bought that guitar, I wrote a song on it right away. And, um, you know, just a simple tune. Um, And from then on, I would always just, as part of what I would do, I would try to, you know, write music that I heard in my head, Mm -hmm. you know, find chord progressions and then try to mangle them into songs and so yeah. I've always kind of done that since I started playing electric anyway yeah interesting so for you was it you talked about kind of hearing stuff in your head is it that you would be walking around and something would kind of be in your head and then you would try to figure it out with your fingers later when you got to the guitar no or was it was it more like you discovered stuff on while while playing, yeah. while playing, like if I was learning, you know, if I was learning new chords um, and I'd start playing around with those chords, I'd hear that and go, oh, that, you know, I'd want to hear the next chord in that sequence that's coming up in my head. And then I would just pick around and find what that is. Yeah. Uh, and that's how it, I, it kind of started for me. And that's kind of what I what happens now when I, yeah. you know, so yeah. you find that experience too when you write songs. What's yeah, it's. Most How do you, do you hear music in your head? Do you hear songs in your head? And then go ah. Although I have done that before, I have heard some stuff in my head and figured it out later. Yeah, I think it's been a little of both. There's times so there was one. There have been a couple things where it's just like it, someone pushed play and I just heard the thing. And mm-hmm. I heard the melody. I heard the words. I heard the thing. You know, I could just hear the thing. And then it was like get to an instrument and a piece of paper and, and transcribe it before it evaporates. Right. Although also a lot of it is that thing you're describing to which is the you're playing and then something catches your ear and you're like what if I went to this next and then you, you know, you're finding you're kind of discovering a thing um, both with your ears but with your hands yeah and sometimes you do that and you figure out you're writing someone else's song yeah, right. <laughs> there definitely been times where I'm like, that was the song you hear in your head and belongs you know someone yeah. else but right or you th- you're like I'm sure this is somebody else's and then you kind of ask around and you're like I guess it isn't right yeah right I mean, but yeah, and you got to steal. Yes. You know, you got to steal. Right. This is the way it works. Everyone does it, yeah. but you got to make it something different. You got to make it your own. You know, that's the way it goes. Right. And I don't write words. I mean, there was a time. We're <laughs> getting melodies, though. Do you hear melodies, or are you just not actually the words, or is it more that you're doing chords and riffs and things? Like well, that? mostly chords and riffs, but sometimes what I'll do is. If it's a chord progression um, or a song just made up of chords, I'll find little extensions in the chords that will start to make up a melody around it. So I'll, fu- I'll, I'll you know, make the melody function around that by adding yep. notes here and there, you know, just yeah. to flesh that out. Yeah. When you think about... Um, writers people, songwriters that you are into, um, 
encounters, you know, when you're starting or now, are there particular people you think about, like, that's what I aspire to in terms of songwriting? Hmm. it after, or is it just kind of... No, I don't really approach it from that that angle. I mean, there are lots of songwriters, obviously, that I love, but um, it's it's more a process of picking up the guitar and sometimes not playing until I just decide what I want to start with. You know, sometimes you pick up a guitar and just start force of habit. You'll grab a chord in a certain place and you get into yeah. these patterns where you do that stuff or just kind of start riffing to warm up your fingers or do whatever. But um, uh, I don't really approach it from from that angle. I think that I've just, I, I, I listen to so much music and been exposed to so much of it that it's just kind of like you're steeped in it. So sure. once you start playing, whatever your your bank of influences and experiences just starts to flow through that, and you either let it come through you or you mm-hmm. reject it and go, nah, I don't want to do that, or, you know, that's yep. kind of my process. What about you? Um, I think it's probably more what you're talking about now, but I think in the earlier days I was more specifically trying to model after specific influences, mm, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm going to try to write a Who song, or I'm going to try to write a U2 song, right, or something like that. And then it becomes now it's more of a, a mix. Like I think what you're saying, right? There's a big pool of influences, and all of that filters in somehow. But I'm not specifically. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I you know, now you say that, I guess I have done that. What I really love is when you try to do that. But it doesn't come out like that at all. That's right. And it sounds like something completely different. Like, I read years and years ago how the Talking Heads were trying to be a Motown band or trying to be a Memphis soul band, whatever they're mm-hmm. trying to be. They were trying to be some kind of soul band, whether it was a, a, a Motown or a Memphis soul band or something. It's like, that's how their their ultra-white geekiness spits out Motown is the talking heads, right. which I love that, you yeah, know? Yeah, I remember reading an interview about um, where Steve Perry talked about being a huge, like, Sam Cooke fan and and that era of stuff and, you know, stacks things in Motown and uh, and at the time I thought, what? That's nothing like their music. But then now I go back and I listen. I listen to the way he sings it. It's totally in there. Totally. totally now there. that you say that, right. I can hear that in my head. Yeah. The total the Sam Cooke turn right. of melody here or there. You know yeah. that he would even some of the specific licks. You're like, oh, that's a total Sam Cooke thing. Yeah. But it's in a different context, and so you're like, to your point, it doesn't come out that way, even though you're trying to imitate that. No, and that's to me that's that's the cool essence of stealing and making it your own. Is you know you're influenced by that. You're trying to make it yep. like that. You're 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 really working in the spirit of that. But right in a different context, it becomes something completely different and something completely new and cool. Yeah, yeah. Tell me about what was the first electric guitar you bought? Um, the first <laughs> this is also a great story. Well, not a great story, but an annoying story for me. So. And this is the perfect story of like the dynamic of me and my older sister Ellen. <clears throat> so, Ellen has a number of acoustic guitars. You know, she's always finding great deals, always finding amazing instruments for dirt cheap. It's mm-hmm. crazy. So, anyway, I'd saved up money from working, and I wanted a Stratocaster. Had to have a Strat, and I would go through the trade in times, 
every week or day it came yeah. out, whatever. I think it was weekly, whatever it was, 1978, 79. And they had, and I'll kick myself now because it was 65 Jazz Master, $300. 66 Jazz Master, $200. You know, it's just like, I'm like, I don't want a Jazz Master. I don't want, you know, I want a Stratocaster. I should have bought up all the Jazz Masters and Jaguars. Um, But I wanted a Strat. And I finally found one in the Tribune for $325. And I was like, all right. So, and this is how dumb I am. This is a total guitar moment of stupidity. But so I call this guy up. He lives in Hyde Park. I live in Prospect Heights. So I said, I want to come down, check out the guitar, bring cash. Cool. Come on down. So I drive down there, go to this guy's house. Super nice guy. He pulls out this Strat. It is possibly the most undesirable Strat anyone would ever can who anyone who likes Stratocasters, if you like Stratocasters, yeah. you don't want this one. The only way it could have been worse is if it was that mocha brown color oh, yeah, that they did the, in the seventies. That's what I'm picturing. But it's a seventy-five Strat. It's natural. I am so dumb. How dumb am I? I did not realize that it was a hardtail, no trim. It's a Strat without a trim. And I'm like, I pick it up. I'm like, this is cool, and I can afford it. That's the most important part. Thing's a boat anchor, by the way. Right. So I'm like, sold. So I pay him the money, and I'm like, ah, oh, cool. Leave, drive back to Prospect Heights with my electric guitar, and I had it for a while. Had it for probably like, I had it for maybe a month, like up until like right. No, no, probably two weeks. I've had it. And then my sister Ellen comes home from work one day. She goes, you're never going to believe what I got. I go, what? She goes, I found a Stratocaster too. I go, what? What is it? She pulls out this case. It's a dead mint 1966 Lake Placid Blue Strat. How much? 300 bucks. I'm like, are you kidding me? I was ready to kill her, but... Super cool guitar. She's like one up me. She still have it? Yes. Oh, yeah. Smart move. It's a wonderful guitar. She doesn't play it very often, but it is. Every time I go to her house, I'm like, can I go visit the Strat? <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, but I still have it. I still have the boat anchor. Nice. Yeah. It's, it's, and I like it now more yeah. than I did then. Yeah. But, yeah. The hardtail's cool. Mm. Um, what was your, you're not into it? Well, I mean, you know, part of having a Strat is being able to use the tremolo arm. Sure. So sure. didn't have that. <laughs> so I just bend the neck. But. <laughs> <laughs> what was your amp? The first amp? Uh, Ellen and I, after getting these Stratocasters with no amps, well, I was borrowing a friend's amp, but um, we went to this sale at this place in Barrington. I forgot what it was called, some guitar shop. And we bought these matching Westbury transistor 25-watt amps, and I had that amp for, that was my amp for years, like uh, probably until I went to college, played gigs with it in college, and then um, and then Ellen, another stroke of whatever ridiculous luck, she, she like lucked into some 72 Marshall 50-watt head for like 50 bucks or something, and she loaned that to me. That was my second rig. 
It's great. So, but but the yeah, the Westbury. I still have it. It's in my office. Oh, that's so it so good. Still works. Yeah. It's so good that you have the original stuff. That's cool. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah, you know. I'm a pack rat with that stuff. Only if something like if I just don't like something, I'll move it. But right. Usually just Yeah. What about you? What was your I first guitar? I had a Strat, like a boat anchor that was like a 78 or 79. Uh-huh. It was kind of maroonish with a maple neck. Black, black pickguard. Pickguard. Yeah, yep. you know the one. Yep. Um, and then I had a PV Special 130. Oh. Uh, which is a solid state amp. And I kind of like it. I played one recently. I was at some shop in Minneapolis or something like that and, and plugged one in. And I was like, it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cleans does cleans, yeah. right? It's not bad. And the, even the distortion was like, I'm like, this is acceptable. Was it a hybrid? Was it part tube, part no, transistor? No, it was just All solid state. Yeah. Oh. They made some other ones at the time that were tube. Yeah. And they made some later that were, yeah. I've thought about going and buying one just to kind of recreate the <laughs> the magic. Do you still have the old Strat? I don't. Oh. No, I sold it, uh, I think, when I was in end of high school or beginning of college. Yeah, I had it for a couple of years, though. It'd be fun to have that. I wonder if it was good or bad. Like, I can't, you know. Right. Yeah, you don't have the, you can't look back on it right. now and it go. Can, hmm. I can't understand whether it was a good one or not. Yeah. Um, well, mine's good now because it was refretted. But Oh, that helps. Once it got refretted, it was a really good guitar. So yeah. Still heavy, but cool. That's good. And then you played in bands in college? Yes. Yeah, I played in, uh, I played in bands all through college. And then uh, after college, I was not in a band for a while. Mm-hmm. And then, um, and then I got in another band. And like a couple of years after I was out of college, or a year after I was out of college, I got in another band. And then um, that lasted for a short while. Mm-hmm. Did you? So then you made this transition. You. You work in show business, right? Mm-hmm. Which you've done since when? How long after college did you start? Um, I started a jam in July of 86. Okay. So it's been, it'll be 33 years in July. It's wild. I know, it's weird. It's crazy. How did you, and so <clears throat> just for people listening who don't know, like, what do you do there? What's, the, or what did you start doing, I guess? Like? I'm, uh, well, I'm a talent buyer there. Yeah. Um, and I, I oversee what we refer to as the club department at the company, which is kind of a misnomer. Um, it's, it's really the small concert hall division of the company. Mm-hmm. So anything from the Riviera, the Vic, Park West, anything that jammed as at Metro or any of the other small clubs like um, Shuba's Lincoln Hall, Bee Kitchen Subterranean, right. Martyrs, uh, the late Double Door, Mm-hmm. Uh, you know any of those places? I'll, I either book or I oversee the booking with um, two other gentlemen yep. who work with me. They are nice gentlemen. They are. Um, They're gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> and how did you get into that? Was that something you pursued? You were trying to find a job in that business, or um, no? You know, not really. Kind of by accident. But you know, I uh, I got my degree in Carbondale at SIU Carbondale in uh, radio and television. And when I graduated, I was looking for a job in radio. Okay. Um, which was a tough thing to do for a kid coming out of college. Um, but I did after being home for probably about mm, just maybe a year 
um, I got a lead from my sister Ellen, who worked at WXRT at the time, that, that Jam Productions was looking for a sales rep for their heavy metal radio program. Um, what they, you know, they used to, Arnie and Jerry used to have this radio program on WVVX from 7 oh, p.m. Really? to midnight, five nights a week. Huh. Well, there was no radio for, you know, any of the, the hard rock or heavy metal stuff at the sure. time. And this is, you know, mid-80s when yeah. there's a lot of that. Uh, so they were, they were smart. They, uh, they brokered a, a time block, five night hours, a, uh, excuse me, yeah, five hours a night, five days a week, hired their own jocks. And um, so I interviewed for a sales rep job there, and they liked me. You know, what did they know? They didn't know any sales reps. <laughs> they knew no better. Um, and they hired me to do that. So I did that for a while. And um, So was that selling advertising? Selling advertising, yeah, yes. Got it. I was selling advertising for their radio program. Yeah. Really easy sell because a lot of people want that demo. Okay. You know, pimply-faced pubescent and prepubescent boys listening to heavy metal because they're going to stay a lot of disposable income. Sure. They're really going to buy a lot of your products. Right. (laughs) Especially if it's cut off t-shirts and mufflers (laughs) or whatever. (laughs) Um, Anyway, so I was in a band at the time. And while I was there, I, um, I met Scott Gelman, who was running the club department at the time. And other things. He did other shows, too, other than just the club stuff company was carved up booking wise a little bit differently then um and uh one day i was talking to him and i said hey i don't know if this is okay or not but i i play in a band and would it be okay for me to give you a tape of our crummy band and you know maybe get an opening slot somewhere he said sure so i gave him you know copy the tape and i watched it sit on his desk and collect dust for you know (laughs) a while but but he and I struck up kind of a friendship, and he mm-hmm. was, um, you know, we talk about music, and he, I think he could see that I really, really loved music. Yeah. And um, and we got on well, and I think he needed an assistant at that time, and he went to Arnie and Jerry and said, I need somebody. Do you mind if I pluck this guy out of the radio right. thing or, or use him while, you know, see sure. if he wants to do this while he's doing the radio gig? And they were like, sure, you know. Uh, so he approached me and said, would you like to, you know, learn about what we actually do here? And I said, sure. And I started working, you know, on covering shows, first mm-hmm. of all, just going to them, which I'm sure he was dying to find somebody to go <laughs> you know, go cover shows at night for him right. so he could be home. Um, and I'll blame him. Uh, so I started doing that. And then, you know, then he started teaching me about how to, you know, how to put a deal together and what goes into, and I, I, from settling shows, I understood, you know, what goes into a show mm-hmm. production wise and everything else. Um, and then I just, you know, then we talk about what are bands worth? You know, what do I think a band's worth? What's what I, you know, what are the ticket prices? What, and it started there and mm-hmm. he taught me how to book shows and I was his assistant for about a year and then someone else at the company left um, who was doing arenas and theaters and so Scotty moved up into that person's position and they basically turned that department over to me in 1989 which I've been more or less running ever since yeah so I mean kind of one of those amazing jobs that 
people just you can't kind of apply for it. I guess you can apply for it now. They have all, right. you know they have entire curriculums where you can study yeah. this stuff now. But back then it was very little of it. I did take music business classes in at oh, SIU okay. for sure, but I wasn't. I didn't. You know, I didn't. I wasn't really planning on necessarily being in the music business. Really. Yeah, I guess it was kind of part of what I was wondering is if. Um, I didn't have great aspirations. There are, I, there are, I feel like there are many people who want to be, you know, in showbiz or whatever yeah. and, and pursue that stuff. So it's interesting that your path wasn't necessarily about that. Goal. No, but, you know, if you think about it, sitting in a darkened room at five years old, listening to Beatles records over and over again kind of sets you up for the concert experience. <laughs> so, yeah, that's right. <laughs> maybe, maybe, you know, it's the job I trained for all my life. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. What do you think you've learned about, um, I'm sure you've learned many things and obviously know many things about the music business, but I think I'm interested in um, kind of even more broadly, like people or human nature or negotiating, just the dynamic, because it seems like there would be a lot of, even the things you're describing to me about how much is a band worth, how do you put a deal together and stuff, that there's a lot of, you have to be observant and thoughtful about a lot of dynamics that go into putting together and completing a project for your work and probably a lot of personalities and oh yeah there are personalities <laughs> that's for sure i mean yeah. i it's um what i've learned about people is you know and this is just an obvious platitude but you know Everyone's different. Everyone approaches things, even the same thing people approach from a different angle, really. Um, you know, there's different artists think about different things when they are thinking about what their show's going to be about or what, you know, what they want that to be. You know, I'm sure they perceive themselves all as very, you know, different types of of, of people in, in, in in that world, mm-hmm. um, you know, whether they're a pop actor or whether they're a, a songwriter who's, you know, like a singer-songwriter type person or people in rock bands right. um, or hip-hop acts or, you know, whatever. They're, they, I'm sure they all view themselves differently in the whole matrix of that. Um, but, you know, there's never a dull moment. That's for sure in this job. It's just... You never know what's coming out of out of left, right, or center field or behind you, and um, you just you have to be ready for it. Um, you know, you're putting on live shows. People get sick. Buses break down. Um, uh, people protest your show, <laughs> uh, and and it's ever changing. I mean, our the uh, the security concerns. Are, are are different than they ever were mm-hmm. and um, you know we're we're you know now going to a policy of no bags at shows at our shows don't bring a bag of any kind don't bring your backpack don't come from work mm-hmm. with a laptop and um, there's it just it continues to just change and evolve and um, but you know there's no one thing that I've really learned about people in this business. It's yeah. just everyone's different. Everyone approaches things from a different way, and yeah. you have to, you know, be able to handle all of that stuff. What's the 
What's a hard part of the job for you? I imagine there's pieces of it that, like in terms of just how you that make it difficult for you. Um, making money mm-hmm. is harder than ever. Yeah, the deals are tougher than ever. Um, the stress of, you know, um, of of having to make money in a business where no one wants you to make money except for the last 10 tickets. Um, the stress of doing a high volume because my department is probably the highest volume of actual shows in the company. Mm-hmm. It's just the way it works. There's way more small shows than there are large shows. Right. Um, so, you know, the, the work dynamic has changed. Thank you, technology. Mm-hmm. You know, I have now my email and my phone all in one thing in my pocket and people can can reach me at any moment or you know mm-hmm. we all have people who want to work around the clock and i get it you know yeah. we have to change the way we used to do things mm-hmm. and when we've all rolled with those changes you know it used to be once friday rolled around at six o'clock you couldn't find anybody right but now you're working constantly really and yeah. and i know i'm um, my industry is probably not alone in this, but getting emails all the way until bedtime and sure. overnight sure. about, can you respond, please? <laughs> no, I'm having dinner right now. <laughs> yeah. How do you, it seems like a lot of time because you're in the office dealing with these things and setting up deals, right? And then you're at, or historically, you've been at a lot of the shows mm-hmm. at night. To, and <clears throat> how's, how does that work out for you or is it just something you've adapted to it seems like a big time commitment and maybe well would it <laughs> on sleep I'll, other I'll say it again i've been a jam for 33 years now yeah so i've been doing this for easily over half my life yeah. um it's just second nature to me now and it has been for decades mm-hmm. that i go cover shows i come home whenever i get up you know i got to get up early and it is what it is. Right. Um, and it just, it's bothersome in a way because I know that there's a lot of promoters who don't have the talent. Buyers actually cover and settle the shows. A lot of the time, the production people um, would do that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the buyer just buys the show, kind of, you know, looks over it and makes sure it's selling and, you know, overseas marketing and all these other functions and make sure everything's rolling the right way. Um, But, you know, don't have to be there necessarily. Um, But, you know, we all have to be there. So it's... uh, What are you doing when you're at the gig at night? So you you booked a show, it's at the Riviera, now it's the night of that show. And it's six o'clock or whatever. Like, what, get, what are you doing on site? Typically, I get there about an hour before doors, okay. half 30 to 60 minutes before doors open. Um, if there are, you know, there's certain paperwork that needs to go out to people, guest lists, things of that nature. If there's, you know, guest VIP stuff to handle before doors open, yeah. we do all those functions. Um, you know, meet with the band, meet the tour manager. Say hi, make sure everything's that they've had a good day so yeah. far, which I'll check in earlier, usually during the day once too, with my production manager. Sure. Um, <clears throat> production manager is the person who's on site from load in time until 
loadout time and does all the technical uh, the technical advancing of the show and then runs the show physically runs the show with with uh, the artist touring personnel mm -hmm. so i'll check in you know with them and i'll check in with the band make sure everything's going fine and then uh hunker down and start doing some financials do all the accounting um watch the show pay people <laughs> yeah so for people who don't know like so it sounds like you're doing the financial stuff because tickets are being up sold up until like the show's on right? that's true um if unless it's sold out in advance of course right. um but even if it's sold out in advance i have to sit down and do all the accounting for the show so i'll, I'll have to get bills for whatever equipment we've rented um catering uh receipts um you know uh, labor bills, things of that nature, put them all in a spreadsheet and then present that spreadsheet to the artists, manor, uh, tour manager, and then pay them out at the end of the night. And is there a little bit of um, back and forth with that? Do they look at your spreadsheet and say, hang on a second, this doesn't look right? Or are they like... You know, hopefully we're doing a good job yeah. in and setting budgets that are realistic at the time we're making the deal. And... Um, you know, then those budgets either come in on point or maybe below, save yeah. some money, which is great. Um, there used to be a lot more of that mm -hmm. back in the day. I think, I think that that promoters used to, you know, pad bills, do all kinds of kooky stuff to make more money, mm -hmm. um, and that just doesn't happen. You know, so yeah. and and we're we're so far evolved down the road with the concert business that you can't you can't fool around with that stuff. Right. There's there's none of that. Right. I mean, someone may be like, "Hey, why is this security bill two hundred dollars more?" And it's a you know you can explain it away and say, "Well, you either had an early load in, or maybe right. you had a meet and VIP meet and greet, and we had to staff that." And they'll, oh, okay, yeah, I get it. You know, right. there's usually not any kind Shenanigans. of shenanigans. Yeah, there's and there's usually no crazy. What is this expense? You right. know that that no one is seeing. Mm -hmm. um, usually, it's all pretty much on point, and people agree pretty easily that you know these are the expenses, and you've got bills to show them and invoices and everything else. So, right, it's pretty it's pretty cut and dried Do mostly these days. Do you still like going to concerts? Do you still find that exciting? Yeah, to be an audience member. Oh God, yeah. Really? I sit awesome. and buy. I sit so and buy. I look at the schedule like up, like whatever's playing, and go. You know, what am I going to go to? Mm -hmm. Yeah, of course. I've That's got. Great. Yeah, and I'm excited about. I'm not excited about everything I book, but I'm excited about some stuff I book for sure. Yeah. And you know, and just want to go to it. Like we had a show on Saturday, which I wasn't covering. Um, Mike Lemaster was covering it, yeah. but. I told him, I said, shout you know. Shout out to DJ Poser. Shout out to DJ Poser. Um, but we had this band called the Delvon Lamar Organ Trio. Um, and I just, this band I just kind of saw on YouTube and tracked them down and found out that they have an agent who I know. And I was like, a guy I don't really do any business with, but I've known for years. I'm like, hey, I found this band on YouTube. They're, oh, they're awesome. Can I do a show with them? So, um, so I did. I booked a show with these guys at Martyrs, and it was Saturday night. And I was like, "Yeah, I'm going." I told Mike, "I said, uh, you're not going to be bummed out if I show up at the show because I'm going to go with my wife, and I want to drink beer, and I want. I'm now. I don't want to settle. I don't want to work. I just yeah. want to. I'll say hi to the manager, of course, and but I want to watch the band. So 
Yeah. That's cool. That's so great. Yeah. I mean, yeah, of course. I mean, I got Johnny Marr coming up. I got Lizzo coming up. I got a bunch of fun stuff coming up. And then I have other shows I just want to go see this summer. So Yeah. That's so good. Yeah. That's so good that I, even I'm after all those. totally excited by it. That's really cool. Mm. That's really cool. That's great. Yeah. I love hearing that. I think we I think we all are at the company. That's yeah. that's why I think people don't leave is because everybody really loves music at Jam. Mm-hmm. You know, really really invested in it and it's it's meaningful to them and and they get excited about it. You know, they get chills about stuff. So, you know. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Um I'm going to talk about a different topic for a minute. Sure. Um <clears throat> I know at least for a period you were kind of doing like a big travel trip, like maybe once a year, right? You mm-hmm. would go. Um, so I'm interested in a little about that, like if you if you had an approach or how you picked destinations um, and what kinds of things you like to do if you have general things that you like to do um, when you travel. I used to go on these adventure trips with my buddy Andy Surzan, who mm-hmm. I work with at Jam. Worked there like a year less than me. Mm-hmm. So 32 years for Andy. Right. Um, until I got married. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, but we went on all these fabulous trips. And you know what? To be quite honest with you, Andy would come up with an idea and go, what do you think about going to Guatemala? And I'd be like, yeah, let's do that. Or, you know, what do you think about going to Prague for a weekend? I'm like, yeah, let's do that. So um, what that travel was really more about seeing uh, really like not, it wasn't like vacation type travel. It was more like um, uh, adventure travel is probably not the right term, but it was certainly like uh, cultural excursion time. Um, and some of it was kind of adventurous. I mean, we did some caving in Thailand and sea kayaking and, uh, you know, fun stuff like that. But, um, but what we did, we'd go to all these national parks and then we'd do like a, a trip to South America or Europe or Thailand or, you know, wherever far flung places that were cool and interesting. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that kind of ended when I got married and yeah. had kids. <laughs> We do different trips now. <laughs> sure. So you would, it sounds, he would kind of just throw out an idea and you're like, I'm game. Let's, yeah. Let's do it. Andy's, Andy's a complete travel bug and uh, he's, he's crazy about it. He goes places constantly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's, re, he's the one, he's the one to talk to about yeah, he's the, the one. travel because he's really the expert. Yeah. He's the engine on that deal. Definitely. And then do you have, when you, Travel places are there particular things you like to do, or yeah, you know, like I, if I go to a new city, I like to try to go to the art museum. It's just like a thing that I'll try to. Um, if there, yeah, if there is an art museum that's significant, yeah. sure, something like that. But um, depending on what it is, you know, I mean, we went to Peru once, one of our trips. So we went to Machu Picchu, mm-hmm. which is fantastic. Um, we went to Cusco and, you know, we were there for a while. It was amazing. We're in, um, um, oh my God, I'm spacing out the name of the capital in Peru, Lima. Oh yeah, sure. Oh, 
So we, we, we flew into Lima, you know, spent a day in Lima, which is, there are some very, very cool architectural things to check out in Lima. Um, you know, so it just depends on where you're going, mm-hmm. really. Uh, we went to New Zealand, which was all about, we didn't go to the North Island, we went to the South Island, which I understand why they shot all those uh, Tolkien movies there, those Lord of the Rings things, because yeah. it is it is the wonderland. It is mind-blowing. But, you know, there was so much different terrain there. You could go hiking in a rainforest, and then later that day you could take a helicopter to a glacier and go hike on a glacier. Um, it was, Crazy. you know, and that's, so those kinds of things we did. Did you, um, did you camp at all on any of these things? Nah. Not in Nah, it. we always found cool lodges or cool. I mean, that's the other thing. Find a cool place to stay in, too. Yeah. Unless there is nothing, you know, like we went and, and kayaked Milford Sound. We were in like a youth hostel, which was a trailer where the lights went out at, at you know, eight o'clock. So, you know, there aren't the amenities, there aren't the amenities, but right. we were there, you know, for adventure stuff. So, right. Uh, but I, you know, I, I like to. But I like to I like to sample the food. Mm-hmm. Um, if there's, like I said, if there's you know significant art museums, absolutely. Yeah. But I like to see I like to see the city and see people and see their culture and just kind of hang out and you know yeah. check out the vibe. Do you like traveling to cities? Because I I'm okay with cities, but I prefer. Uh, I go somewhere, I want to see the city for like a day maybe, and then I want to get out and get to a small town or get out in the sticks or something like that. Well, like, do, you like, do you enjoy <clears throat> visiting cities? I like both, actually. Yeah. Um, I mean, if it's a city where there's something to do and, and has some real historic meaning, mm-hmm. like when we went to Prague, you know, there was all kinds of amazing things to see in Prague. Mm-hmm. And there was really not that much to do outside of Prague for us. We didn't go that long, but but the city itself is is stunning. And um, the beer is fantastic. And it was just a wonderful time to hang out there. Yeah, You know, same thing we went to Poland once and uh, went to Krakow and went to Warsaw. Warsaw, was, Warsaw wasn't very interesting because that city got flattened in World War II, and they, mm-hmm. so it's kind of modern now. But um, but Krakow is beautiful and fun, and like Prague, vibey and beautiful, and great beer, and it was nice, you know. Really cool. So city wise, that was fun. But mm-hmm. going to New Zealand, where you want to go, you know, you want to, you know, I didn't really want to hang out in Christchurch very much right. or Greymouth. We it was really more about. You know, sea kayaking and, you know, yeah. hiking and doing all kinds of other outdoor stuff. So the location really dictates that for, for me. Mm-hmm. Sounds like, do you, it seems like from what you're describing that you're kind of just up for whatever, right? You're up for an adventure as opposed oh, yeah. to having. Absolutely. Do you have places on your list that you really want to go that you haven't been to or it's weird. Uh, there's so many places that everyone's been to that I've never been to. Mm-hmm. Like, I've never been to London. Mm-hmm. I've never been to Paris. Mm-hmm. I've never been to Rome. I've never been to. I've never been to the homeland. I've yeah. never been to Greece. Yeah. So those are kind of next on my list. All of those. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Well, it gives us a lot of stuff to look forward to. Yeah. It sounds like you had a lot of good adventures so far. Oh, for sure. Yeah. On that stuff. Do you have favorites of the places you've been? Um. I was really freaked out about going to Thailand because I thought I would get sick, mm-hmm. and it was so much the opposite. The food, 
at whatever level you ate at, whether it was street food mm -hmm. or just a family restaurant or a nice restaurant, the food was all wonderful and all mind-blowingly good. Yeah. So if you like Thai food, oh yeah. my God, go to Thailand. That sounds pretty great. Where did you go when you were in Thailand? We went to, we flew into Bangkok, mm -hmm. stayed there for a day and just did a little sightseeing there. Yeah. Um, we went to um, Sukhothai, which used to be the capital. Okay. Um, but is now like a little tiny city. Um, saw ruins there and fun stuff there. Uh, then we went to Chiang Mai for a couple days. Okay. Uh, then we went up to this place called Mai Hong Son, which was up um, near like the the Burmese border there. And um, that was fun. Rented motorcycles and rode around the mountains. That was really fun. Wow, that sounds cool. Yeah, it was killer. Um, then we went to uh, Phuket from there. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Did like one day at a beach resort and then the next day we went to uh this we went on this sea kayaking excursion where you went out to sea for three or four days and you were on a boat with like eight or nine other people and you stayed out at sea for three days and they would take you to these little deserted island beaches that's where you would sleep you'd like you'd put your tent and all your gear on one of the kayaks kayak out there at night and then just set up your tent on the beach and sleep there get up in the morning, go back on the boat, have breakfast, like fresh Thai food, fresh caught seafood mm -hmm. done in a Thai style, Th three squares a day there. That was, that was possibly the most amazing. Yeah. Watching these, uh, these um, Thai women on the boat catching squid and then doing it up Thai style later, you know, just, it was crazy good. That sounds really great. Yeah, it was Awesome. That sounds so good. Where's your favorite place you've hungry. been that's not in the United States? Um, and not Greece? It's a good question. Um, I don't know if I've been to a ton of places, but um, outside the U.S. and not in Greece, um, I really like the, like the southwest of Ireland. I think it's got a, mm -hmm. there's a magical thing there in the terrain. It's beautiful. Um, I've never been. Yeah, there's some kind of there's some kind of mystical vibe there, um, and I liked um, uh, the couple places I've been to in Italy were really nice. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not usually that much of a city person, but I actually really liked Rome. Mm -hmm. Thought it was super interesting, um, and the way. Did, did you go to Florence? I have been to Florence, yeah. I went to, I've been to Florence and Rome and Venice. Mm. Um, and a couple other, you know, small towns and stuff like that. Um, those are probably some of my favorites. There's, there's, right, there's so many places to explore and so many places I haven't been. But, um, yeah, I think it's really just about, it's about kind of the, just the, the vibe of a place. Do you interact with people when you go? Do you like meet the, the people there and like hang out with them or you kind of keep to yourself? Uh, I probably more keep to myself, mm -hmm. which, and ironically, I keep to myself more when I'm alone, when I'm traveling by myself. Mm -hmm. I tend to kind of, I don't know, I just withdraw a right. little bit. If I'm with a few more, 
one or more people, then I'll probably be a little more interactive with other people. Is that because you're interacting with other people at the time, or do you think that the other people are interacting with other people, so you are too? Yeah, I think it's probably more <clears throat> that I'm... I'm just, I feel like I've got some kind of like safety net or something because mm-hmm. I've got a, a person with me, right? So I can interact a little bit and then kind of go back to my person or people. Right. And stuff. So different. Do you, do you mix it up? Do you feel like you, when you go places, you, you mm-hmm. are talking to people and asking more questions and more? Well, <laughs> so the places we've been to that were not in the United States, Guatemala, mm-hmm. Peru, Prague, um, Thailand, New Zealand, they speak English. So, yes, interacted with a lot of them. Sure. But all that to say, I don't speak any of those languages. So, so not really. Yeah. You know, it was kind of hard to try and communicate. I mean, it, anything that's Latin American, you can try and use whatever, Spa- whatever Spanish I know. And right. I don't know. I'm not. I don't speak Spanish very well, although I took five years of it through junior mm-hmm. high and high school. Those were, I was not a good student. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you can try that in Peru. You can try that in Guatemala. You certainly try it in Mexico. But, you know, you have, you're lost in, in Prague. You're lost in Thailand. There's sure. no way you're going to, you know, other than trying to take a verse book. Uh, nah, I don't think so. I'm not doing that. Yeah. So... <laughs> I mean, you try to communicate, but... <clears throat> but when you went to those places, did you find... Were you at all nervous about the language thing, or were you like, we'll just... We'll be fine? No, I... I you know, uh, I've been to enough of those places where you just figure it out. And uh, uh, I hope this isn't just, like, the ugly American in me, but most people do speak a little bit of English sure. when you're going to a place where there are tourists. So right. there's a way to make it work. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. But, you know, shame on us for being ignorant isolated yeah. Americans who don't speak another yeah, language. Right. One language people. Yeah. Barely this one. Yeah. Many your, of us. Do your parents speak any other languages? Uh, they... Oh, yeah. Um, Greek. Yeah. My parents speak Greek. Okay. Everyone speaks Greek in my family but me. Is that right? Your siblings do? Yeah. Um, I think that my brother, John, understands more than he speaks. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's the same... This is true of Vange, but my mom and dad spoke fluent Greek. They're first-generation Americans. So their parents came over. Their parents came over. Both their parents came you over. Do you know where they're from? Um, my mom's parents were from Yoraiki. Okay. And my dad's parents were from Sparta, I think. Okay. So uh, I'm pretty sure, yeah. Yeah. Um, and did you know them? Did you know your grandparents? N- I knew my mom's grandparents. Okay. My dad was an orphan at 17. Wow. Yeah. He's a real, he's a real success story. <clears throat> but, um, but I knew my, my mom's parents because they were around. Um, her dad died when I was six, and her mom died when I was in college. Oh, okay. So my grandmother, my, uh, yeah. Yeah, it was around so, a long time. Yeah, yeah. But um, but so they spoke yeah they spoke Greek. Mm-hmm. It was really funny because they wanted me to speak Greek, but they knew I didn't speak Greek, so they would speak Greek at the table when they didn't want me to hear something, and I'd be you know, saying, "What are you talking about? Tell me what you're talking about." Yeah. And my sister knew, you know, sure. but <clears throat> yeah, that's mm. a, that's a classic maneuver. Yeah. I what, also, you know, I used to hate hmm. my being in a store with my mom, and my mom would. We'd be, <laughs> 
<laughs> we'd be doing something, and suddenly my mom would pull me aside and start speaking Greek to me. Like, it's something she didn't want the people at the store to, to hear. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Mom, I don't speak Greek. You know I don't speak Greek. And I'm like, you think oh. it was just a habit? Like she was just yes, used was... to confiding in people in Greek to right. keep it secret? Exactly. <laughs> That's so good. I know, right? Well, crazy. That's so good. And did you guys, did you grow up going to like Greek church and kind of immersed in the, oh, yeah. you know, yeah. the culture of? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Which is, you know, I, I'm, I'm terrible. <clears throat> I don't speak Greek. I'm full-blooded Greek. Yeah. Greek-American. Don't speak any Greek. Although I try to cook Greek a little bit here and there. Um, but we went to uh, St. Peter and Paul yeah. in Glenview. Sure. You know, the 90-minute Greek opera every Sunday, dressed yeah. in a suit and tie. Yeah. It's really fun. Fun tie. Right? Yeah, really fun. Um, I did it, too. Yeah. But, At uh, Peter and Paul. Did you go to Peter and Paul, too? Uh, I went to St. Andrews when I was a little, and then we went to Peter and Paul, yeah. Did I know you at Peter and Paul? I don't know. Because we're a few years apart. We're, we're, That's true. I'm, you're probably an older kid, and I was, right? Yeah, I'm probably definitely. knew some of my cousins. I'm way older than you. Yeah, that's knew funny. A bunch of my cousins. Oh yeah. We'll break that down. Yeah, yeah. we'll do that later. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure we. I'm sure you know some of them. Did you go to the Greek picnic? Did they still have the Greek picnic outside with the sure. rides and stuff? Yeah. Oh, that was I went awesome. Last summer. I went last summer too. Did you? Yeah. Nice. All right, we're gonna we'll have, have to, to we'll, we'll connect yes, this time. Yes, for sure. Now they finally brought it back outside. Yes, right. You gotta. <clears throat> you gotta. Um, okay, so you guys went. So you did the whole thing. Did you go to Sunday school and all uh-huh. that stuff? Oh yeah, I went to um, Sunday school, and then I'd have to go to stand up in church and the, sit in the first pew, get there early so we can sit in the first pew. Oh, it was crazy. My parents were crazy about church. I hate. The, yeah. Well, the, just because they wanted to get there and be in the first pew, my mom sung in the choir. My dad was an okay. usher. It was just. Do you think it was? Do you think they were in? Were your parents into the religious part of it? Do you think, or the cultural part, or or, or both, or? I feel like it was really the community and the cultural mm-hmm. part more than the. I mean, the religious part is obviously there. Right. But they weren't like overly crazy religious mm-hmm. people, you yeah. know. You know, it was you had to go to church every Sunday, but sure. but it was really I think about the community and uh, of the of the church and uh and and that whole vibe. Yeah. yeah. That's what they were into. Do you ever go now? I don't, you know. Yeah. Um I uh I'm not into it at yeah. all. I feel bad. I, I feel like I should take my mom because my mom lives right near us. So sure. So maybe I'll take my mom. Yeah. Not, maybe not for Easter, but right. Too late. You can take her to Conjunction Unction tomorrow. Right. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, I should do that. Yeah. That's um, an easy one. That's a quick is, one. It is a quick one, easy one. Yeah. yeah. And they don't let you bring the oil home anymore. <laughs> oh no. No, they don't let you do that anymore. Yeah. So. Um, but I got Billy Bragg on Saturday, so I can't go to church on Saturday night. <laughs> Where's that gig? Uh, Lincoln Hall. Okay. Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Um, do you like Billy Bragg? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think he's great. Yeah. I, li- I really like what he's doing on this tour. He's doing three nights, a Thursday and a Friday and a Saturday in each market. Thursday night's like a regular contemporary Billy Bragg set. The second night is the first three albums. The third night is the next three albums. That's cool. Yeah. So yeah, I'm sure it'll be fun. Good. Um, when you, so 
You've got two boys, right, who are mm-hmm. how old now? Uh, 11 and 12. It's crazy. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. Um, do you, did they ask you about religion or about things like that? Do you? Yeah, they do. Um, no, well, actually, they... Or, like, or in terms of, like, how the world works, do they ask you, like, what's going to happen when people die? Or, like, are they... Do you get those questions? I'm interested in how you feel that stuff if you get it. I, I, I think m- my wife and I have kind of led it by example by not going to church and yeah. not being religious. Right. That they kind of feel like it's not really important. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know what we've tried to instill in them is that you don't need religion to be a good person. Right. And you do need to be a good person. Yeah. Um, but you don't need the fear of God or any kind of retribution hanging over your head. I mean, the retribution of their parents, obviously, if they're you know pulling yes. some shit. But right. um, but <laughs> that retribution's happening. Right. But um, but you don't need that to be a person of 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 you know good moral character. Yeah. And and you know treat people as you would like to be treated yourself and be honest and you know all the things you do when you're bringing up people into the world sure um but we haven't really we never had them baptized Mm -hmm. which i'm surprised my mom hasn't given me more shit about that yeah but um but you know it's it's not important to us Mm -hmm. really Mm -hmm. i i mean i don't want to go off on a tangent here but but we're here for i you know people are welcome to worship in in their own way it's not for me. Yeah. I think that we are, it's the, you know, it's 2019 and we know how things work in the universe now. And you don't need to worry about an imaginary man in the sky. That's just my feeling about it. And, and, you know, like I said, like to the kids, um, it's important to be of good moral character, Mm -hmm. you know, and to look out for each other. And to care about other people. And you don't need a religion to do that, in yeah. my opinion. Yeah. Um, so there's my tangent. Yeah. People yeah, want to, you know, be religious, whatever, but not yeah. for me. Yeah. Do you think about, or did you when you were a kid? So I'm thinking back to being in Greek church when I was a kid or in Sunday school and stuff. Do you, did you have a different conception then, or do you have one now about some of the quote-unquote bigger questions like what happens to people after they die or things like that oh i bought it hook line and sinker about the you die and go to heaven right i wasn't all sure i i didn't think anyone really went to hell i just i hell was just kind of a just a bridge too far for me yeah really there's a devil down there somewhere somewhere right but you know i think that i i because heaven seemed like a nice place and that it's a peaceful place where people should go if they die that seemed like a concept I could grasp as a kid, mm-hmm. and I, I liked that idea, although it didn't make any sense to me, really. It just, how right. could it? How could all everyone who's ever died be in this one place? Why, why is it not too crowded? How is there any room? I know it's up in the sky, but, right. you know, where the fuck do all these people go, you know? I mean, so you get to go see George Washington? You know, I'm sure he went to heaven, right? Um so I bought it when I was a kid, but um, there was probably a, 
uh, a point in my life, and I think it was probably Christmas time, 1977 or 78, I went to church service at St. Peter and Paul, and I was stoned, and I was just kind of going, this is like just the Greek opera. What is this for? And I just kind of was, at that point, I just kind of, let it go in a way, not mm-hmm. really publicly. God, I would never tell my parents, sure. I don't believe in God. I don't believe in your religion. And, you know, and there are certain things about the Greek church that, you know, the ritual of it that I think is really kind of cool. You know, I get why my parents were into the 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 ritual of it and the community of it because it's kind of a good thing to come together with people that you like and you know for a common belief um i mean ultimately the belief is mythology to me but um but i i I do like some of the greek traditions the religious traditions in a way and it's it it's complex for me yeah you know yeah it sounds like you have a um, good perspective in terms of parsing out the components of it that are appealing and the and seeing the value of those. Oh, sir. And then just kind of setting aside the other parts that yeah that aren't that useful for you. Right. That's pretty well said. Yeah. Interesting. Um, I always like the there's something about maybe it's because of growing up in that environment and having experienced it so many times or something to me about the like sort of the the sound and the smell that and it sort of helps to to go to a service that's in Greek when I don't understand it mm-hmm. because then it just becomes this um, it becomes this memory of of childhood in a way too which is kind of a warm safe place probably right yeah, yeah. you know and it just, I find it, it can be a good environment for thinking. Just mm-hmm. sort of fosters contemplation if you're just sitting there in the back and they're doing the thing and you oh, sense and the that's what I did. and stuff like that. I would just kind of tune it out and think. And, and yeah. you know, it was kind of a meditation of, of, of sorts yeah. in a way where I would just think on other things and, you know, think about things I was looking forward to for 90 minutes while the uh-huh. chanter was going or the service was going while I was standing up and sitting down and crossing myself and, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Speaking of looking forward to things, are you a person who like, um, are you a planner? Are you like a goals person or are you more like you just kind of take things as they come in general in life? Um, I would say a little bit of both. Yeah. Um, I, I like to plan out my schedule. I like to know what I'm doing mm-hmm. that month. Yep. And then there's some holes in the schedule that I'm like, huh, let's see what happens here. I want to have some holes in the schedule, but I also want to know, you know, what I'm doing X, Y, and Z here and there. And that's probably just a function of having to work, you know, shows and Mm -hmm. figure out what, you know, what I'm doing. Yeah. Yeah, I would imagine some of that, some of the processes from your work and some of the nature of the schedule right, sort of programs you to... Oh, it really kind of formed me in a way, you know. I, it's, 
yeah, I, I I do like planning stuff out, but I like to have some some room. You, what about you? Are you a planner? You seem to me like you're a little more of the off the cuff kind of a guy. Yeah, I think that's I think that's accurate. Yeah, I, I mean I try to have some some sort of goals or plans, but but I kind of need to um, that's. I need to push myself in that direction if I'm going to do that. You know, it's not mm-hmm. my nature. My nature is more, I think, to just kind of take it as it comes. You're the eldest? I am. That's why, right? <laughs> is that why? <laughs> is that a thing? You just want to be the man? Well, maybe. Yeah. Um, I feel like it could be um, sort of mental laziness or lack of vision on my part. You know what I mean? Well, you might just like the process of diving in and figuring out as you go. I think that's it's a good a, mental exercise, right? Yeah, I think it is. It can be, <clears throat> certainly, right, to, um, you know, to sort of test yourself and think on your feet and things like that. Um, Would you get bored easily? I don't think I get bored anymore. I don't think I There's get There's too bored. much stuff to do, right? Yeah, just, and too much to think about and... There's books to read and songs to write and yeah. things to look at. And I think I got bored as a kid. And I remember like whining to my mom and her being like, just stop it and <laughs> find something to use. So plenty of things to do, you know. Yeah, and I, now I can't think of the last time. I can get, I guess, fidgety sometimes. So I want to be doing something other than or be somewhere other than where I am. Right. Yeah, that's different. That's different. That's, that's, that's different. But I don't think that's I the same bored. thing. I don't either. I don't think... I've been bored since I started playing guitar. Yeah. I've always had something to do ever since I started doing that. And it's weird. Like, do you watch TV a lot? I watch a little bit. Yeah. Are you can you do like a Game of Thrones? Can you do can you do like a series and like have a bunch of shows that you watch and you, that you like spend copious amounts of time in front of the tube getting I, involved in those stories? I could have one. Mhm. That I'm following. Right. I could maybe have one and, like, a baseball team or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I can't... No, I can't keep track of a bunch of stuff. I can't... I, well, I'm just not interested in it. Yeah. I can I can maybe... If one intrigues me, I can... Like, same, same yeah. as you. I can be interested in one series. I don't have to watch it every day. I don't have to binge watch it. Right. But... Um, I like to have one to kind of look forward to or... You, but yeah, but I can't really do more than that. It's an interesting point about guitar. Yeah, I it's, find it's a never-ending puzzle. It's mm-hmm. like a Rubik's cube that you can never solve. Right, that's right. It's really amazing. And it's also like it's it's meditation for me too. Oh yeah, it's a it's, lot of things. It, it's the one thing I can do. Like I can be have a lot of uh, stressful day of work and other things and so forth. And if I'm getting together with my peeps to play. Hmm. It all falls away during that two hours, so it I really goes away, and I'm just playing the music. And then I'll walk back outside, and I'll be like, oof, i got to go home and do this thing, or i got to get up tomorrow and deal with this person, or whatever it is. But while I'm doing that, when I'm in it, everything, everything and everybody goes away. Isn't it the best? It is the best. I mean, it's magic. It, it is magic. magic. It's, I, I'm, I'm, I feel I'm so lucky to have found it. And to have found guys to play with that I've been playing with now for 
15 years, yeah. I've had this goofy band. And every time at band practice, it is like the two-hour vacation. It is, I mean, it's work. Yeah. It's really work, and there's a lot of concentration. And you know, my wife thinks, ah, I'm going off and having fun. Well, it is fun, but it's, um, but it's also work, and it's you're using space in your brain in a way that is just so freeing but you're working hard at the same time it's crazy good yeah and then you're done and you're like oh okay <laughs> yeah it's so good right and you know i will be in be winter time and i'll be at home or at a rehearsal space playing and in four minutes i gotta like take a layer or two off like your mm-hmm. body heats up yeah you get really like yeah and you get focused and it you know there's like there's physical effects and there's mental and emotional effects and it's really you, you really shift in for me it sounds like for you to shift into a different place it's amazing and it's 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 the it's that's what you know what i mean if if uh, it's not religion but yeah but it is but it, but that's kind of you know that's that's i guess maybe that's what kind of replaced my replaced religion although i was never into religion anyway but you know but that's really a thing that just it's such a wonderful driving force, and it has so many, it's multifaceted. You know, you can just, you can be at a band practice where it's loud and raging, and it's, that's one energy, or you can be just sitting learning something, or you can be, you know, playing something you played a million times by yourself. Just, it's a meditation. It's yeah. amazing. I think you're right. And it's all those, learning something new, ripping it up with people, or in front of an audience, mm-hmm. or playing something quietly and just studying a, a part and trying to... Or recording and creating a recording so and building a recording. It's just, it's got so much to it. It's yeah. the best. Yeah. That's the thing. That's the, that never gets old Mm-mm. for me. Yeah. Um, and that still has the magic. And I think if you can, for me, if you can let go of the... Desire to, to to hit some kind of goal or have some particular outcome. Mm-hmm. Oh then yeah, that's great. Then you can tap back into the magic. Well, that's the best part of it for me. Is that, I mean, I want to be a strong player. Yeah, I want to be a good bandmate. Mm-hmm. I want to create music that's 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 as great as we can make it. And have my part not be something that just sticks out, but something that really works with everything else. But um, it's, uh, I lost what I was going to say. Um, That's but it's, uh, it's just mind-blowing. It's the most fun thing ever, really. Yeah, yeah. I think that um, that's the one, so, uh, I think, uh, Mr. Lozier, who was on the show, mm-hmm. oh yeah, yeah, recently was talking. I think about it and having his kids, not making, not forcing his kids to play music, right, right, and yeah, which we think, have done. <laughs> yeah, well, I think that the, the thing. I mean, it's a tricky balance because I think you force kids to do stuff that they don't want to do, then they they go away from it, and even if they might have gotten to it later, they. They will resist it because it was, you know, there's a balance between right. forcing people to do stuff. But I think one of the positives about maybe 
pushing people a little bit to do it is it's like it's like showing them the the back of the wardrobe and the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, right? It's like there's this magical place here that I can introduce you to. And yeah. You can either go into it or not or whatever, but I'm trying to give you a tip here that there's this thing that if you can vibe with it, right, is right. the thing that you can... You know, I think when I was... I loved doing it just because I loved how it made me feel when I was younger. And then... I kind of shifted to this thing where I was like, oh, I want to do this for a living, right? I want right. this to be, I want to have these particular outcomes. Oh, that was, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, yeah. All that because I don't want to make a living at it. I just want to do it to be really good and to, and to fulfill all of our, you know, all of our needs as musicians. That's, that's all I want to do it for, really. Right. And that's, it's a really kind of a pure thing, you know? I don't yep. care if we make any money. I mean... It's the most expensive hobby I've ever had, <laughs> and I couldn't I couldn't care less about that. Right. You know, it's just, but yeah, yeah. I think if you have and showing the kids that, turning them onto that, so they can have, maybe have that experience. Maybe they don't like it, but right. if they are going to find that and find that kind of, that kind of, I'm not going to call it nirvana, but that kind of great place in right. it. Um, that's cool, and that's what I'm. That's what I try to do with my kids. Yeah, and it's something that, and I think, it's hard. To exp- it's hard to explain. This, you know, there's a lot of things that are hard to explain to young people because the perspective is different. But the idea that like this is a thing you could go, you can have for your whole life. This magical place, it'll yep. always be there. Oh yeah, and it'll kind of be the same. Mm-hmm. Other things will change, but this will always, can potentially always be there for you. And right. I think that's, you know, when I was young, I didn't think I, I didn't think about it in that way. I knew I was very excited by it and really it resonated with me and it was, it was sort of electrifying to me. Um, you know, and then I was like, well, this is what I want to do for a living. And then as that didn't pan out, it, it was, it was a little precarious for a little while, but then luckily I was able to get back to the, you know what, I just love this for the reasons I loved it when I was 15, you know, and 20 and so forth, and, and I could get back and really focus on that part. And then, you know, if something else happened or didn't happen that wasn't as, it, it didn't encumber the magical part of it, right? right? It didn't drag it down. Well, that's the worst thing is if you, you know, you ruin it by, setting up all these expectations for yourself that you're going to be, you know, make a lot of money at it, or it's going to be, you know, something that really, you know, you're going to break big, you know, that's, right. that's, I think that's the hard part. And I think that that's where people, some people, I mean, I guess it can be a freeing thing for, for many people. I think some people probably ruins it for them, you know, um, because they really think that that's what they're going to do. And when that doesn't happen, they've invested so much in it. And, sure. you know, whereas I know that I suck, so <laughs> I don't really care. <laughs> right. I'm never going to do this for a living. Maybe one day we'll write a, a song that gets, that actually can, you know, eat out a little bit of money here and there as an annuity, but yeah, who cares? You know, it's not what it's about. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it can be, I mean, I think it's true of music and other things too. It can be. Not spoiled necessarily, but intertwined with these desires for outcomes, and that can be 
a bummer because then you can't, it can be hard to separate that out and enjoy the purity of the thing that you liked doing or working on for its own sake. Yeah. And I tell my kids that I'm like, you know, you're not playing music so you can be a professional. You're doing it so you can have this in your life and pick it up when you want it or don't, but you can do it. Like you said, for your whole life. Did your kids play sports? I imagine it's a similar kind of thing for that. No, they hate sports. Um, They, uh, (laughs) and I kind of told them, I said, well, you have to pick something other than video games. So they said, well, let's, we'll play music. We bought a piano and um, they, so they take piano at home and then they each play one plays in the orchestra, one plays in the concert band. So different instruments, obviously. What do they play? Uh, George plays cello and Angus plays clarinet. Okay. Nice. Yeah. Nice. And I just tell them, I said, the guitars, that's daddy's instrument. You don't want this stuff. Just stay away from this stuff. <laughs> it's pretty great. Well, you know, then they'll rebel and they'll want to play. Sure, that's right. <laughs> but I always tell them, but if you do want to play, I'll teach you all the bad habits I know. So That's good. Yeah. You use some reverse psychology on them there. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder about... Uh, I don't care if they play guitar. Right. <laughs> I really don't. But it's... You know, I think there's the things about it, like whether it's, you know, playing an instrument or playing sports or whatever, where it's, you learn how to dive into something. You learn yeah. how to, to really dig in and you learn how to, you learn how to learn something. You learn how to practice, right? Whether you're yes. pitching a baseball or playing clarinet or whatever it is. Or playing soccer, whatever it is. Right. Yeah. yeah. You learn how to improve yourself and that's the goal. Really? Yeah. Like I used to tell. You can reapply that to whatever. Yeah. I mean, I like when my son Angus was in Little League and they'd lose a game, and I'd tell him, you know, that is the last thing that Little League is about, by the way. Winning those games is great if you win, but that's not what it's about. And I would run down the laundry list of what it really is actually about just to kind of remind him. Mm-hmm. You kind of look at me like I'm an idiot. You know? What would you tell them? Like, what are the, what are the top things? I would tell them it's about being. Involved with a team, working with other people, mm-hmm. being coachable, you know, having a mentor and listening to them, developing skills, you know, working yeah. hard, working well together. And it's about sportsmanship. It's about learning how to win and how to lose, you know, gracefully. Mm-hmm. That's what it's about, mm-hmm. you know, and about getting out and getting some exercise. You know, when, yeah. you're not gonna, what are you going to win? You're going to win a trophy? Great. That's cool. <laughs> Do those you know? guys believe you when you say this stuff? Or are they like, whatever, dude? Oh, totally win. rolls his eyes at me, yeah. you know. So, yeah. but you got to tell them. Mm-hmm. I feel like if you tell them over and over again, it's going to sink in eventually. It's really good. I wonder if anybody, I don't know if anybody ever like explicitly told me those things, like when I was in Little League. I no one told if, me that. Yeah. No one told me that. I sucked at Little League. I hated it. It was the worst. It was the worst. It was probably one of the worst experiences of my life was Little League. It was awful. It was interesting. I was good for a year and terrible for like the other five years. Mm. There was one year where I was in a sweet spot. I don't know. You You peaked early. Yeah, I was. It was in the. There was like one year in the middle where. You know, and then every, all the other kids got bigger than me. I was me. just going to say, like were you big were and then enough. suddenly you weren't? No, yeah, my <laughs> skills were good enough. No, I wasn't big. I was still little, but my skills were good enough. Yeah. And then everybody, like, physically, like, surpassed me. And what, I don't know what happened. And I was just terrible. And it was miserable. And I finally, you know, several years later, wrapped it up. Well, you stuck it out for how many years yeah, when you I hated really it? Yeah, I really liked it. I probably played from when I was, I don't know, 
uh, like you know seven or whatever until thirteen or wow. something like that, or somewhere in there. Yowza, seven to twelve or something like that. And, <clears throat> um, but I think it was it's interesting because then you learn a bunch of things, right? I don't think I thought about it this way at the time, but you learn that you're actually not good at some things. Yeah, and how to navigate that and. I was not good at many things when I was a kid, so I learned how to navigate that early. I mean, I don't know what I would have done if I had if that hadn't happened into this selling radio advertising. Maybe I would have done that. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe I would have been done a stint at WVVX and then moved on to WLUP and then like been a lifer kind of right. sales guy. Yeah, I don't know. I'm I I think I'm really lucky that I met Scotty, got this job at Jam. And was, you know, loved music so much that I just was able to easily dive in. It wasn't like work for me, mm-hmm. you know. That's interesting. And sometimes it isn't like, I mean, it is like work, but it, sometimes it, I'm just so second nature now. It's so weird. Yeah. I've been doing it so long. Yeah. And it changes, obviously. You got to learn new skills and learn, right. deal with different people. But, yeah, I don't know. But I was terrible at most things when I was young. Do you think when it when you started, I mean, you, I'm guessing you probably didn't think you would work there 33 years later. But did you think to yourself, like, oh, this is a, I've, things have really come together and fallen into place with this opportunity? Or was it just kind of like the next thing that was happening to you in your life? Um, I was really excited. Yeah. Um, I, I, I thought to myself, wow, I got a job in the music business and I like this and I'm actually okay at it. Um, and these guys have my back and are supporting me, and you know I, I felt really fortunate. And then a couple of years into it, um, I was really feeling great about it. Like, wow, I'm running the department at this company, and we're like, you know, we're top independent promoters in the country. Yeah. Um. So, and I felt fortunate, you know. Yeah. And I still do. Um. You know, God, I'm working. I mean, we're not a corporation, right? It's a different animal than what most concert promoters in the world are working in these days. Most of them work for either Live Nation or AEG, right? With the corporate thumb, you know, yeah. on their head constantly. Yeah. Which we have some of that, obviously, because we're a business. But it's not like that, you yeah. know. So it's good. Yeah. Right? That's a pretty good run. Yeah. That's really good. Hopefully they don't kick me out anytime soon. I need the job. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. <clears throat> probably got to go home to the family. Yes. Yeah. Well, there's all kinds of other... I, I didn't, I didn't um, apply you for uh, behind-the-scenes showbiz stories or anything like that, but I wanted to talk about this, all this other stuff. There's a lot of good... A lot of good stuff. Yeah, this is good. Yeah, man. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, my pleasure. All right, Nicholas George Miller on What Else? (laughs) There you go. What else? (laughs) 